0: Welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. As always, if you liked this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Today I'm sitting down with Eduardo, founder of Fearless Communicators. (laughs) Eduardo, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Yuri, I am doing great. It's such an honor to, to be chatting with you and talk about something that I'm really passionate about, which is multidisciplinary creativity. Wonderful. I,
0: I love it. So yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for my listeners who are, are less familiar with, with your company and what you do, how do you describe yourself and what you do? So I call myself a story doula.
1: That is the, I guess, the heart-centered way of talking about what I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in simple English, (laughs) I'm a public speaking coach and I work with thought leaders on what they say and how they say it.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, And for those of those who have a background in the theater, I was a professional actor for over 15 years. Um, I also say that I'm a monologue coach for real people. (laughs) I just peppered peppered in various (laughs) ways of kind of dissecting uh, the privilege that I have to show up in service of uh, human yeah.
0: beings and their stories yeah that's absolutely wonderful so is it a kind of an interesting side side tidbit i i now work for a large corporation and they invited companies a company like yours to mm. work with the ceo to polish his you know on state presence on mm-hmm. state presence mm-hmm. and they also i was able to be part of that organization and so they also even though i've i've done some of this a little bit but yeah. it was wonderful to sit down with classically trained actors and to talk through your speech. And it was like, there are things mm. that I didn't remember I should have done that they reminded me of. And it was absolutely fantastic. So um, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I We'll get a little more about yours, but your company, yeah. but um, I think it's a a, a wonderful service and I didn't realize how much it really, it, it, it's valuable in all different types of settings. But let's talk about your background for a little bit first.
2: Great. What
0: initially got you interested in acting?
1: So um, I grew up in Miami, Florida. My family are Cuban American immigrants. Uh, so they, they fled Spain because of Franco and Cuba because of Castro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and growing up as a child, I, I loved to play with my GI Joes and my mask toys and these little figurines. And I'm an identical twin, and my brother played War, and I played War, the musical. (laughs) My (laughs) character sang and danced and had monologues, you know, and playing uh, Little League soccer as a child. I was the only one who finished with a Von Trap family named Rock Collection. (laughs) So I think I I had a penchant for the show tune, Mm -hmm. and I think for me as a young boy, uh, I... I looked at musical theater as a place where men expressed themselves in the way that I did, which was through song and through dance, or the way that I think I aspired to or wanted to express myself.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And being raised in an immigrant family, that was not my parents' wishes for me, (laughs) one, as a boy, and two, as an immigrant. So it was like law school, business school. You know, so uh, I went to uh, a premier Jesuit prep school, which I was very grateful for in Miami, and then graduated, uh, went to the University of Pennsylvania, majored in English, because I really saw school as the way out, as Mm -hmm. the exit out. And then when I finished undergrad, I said, I played by everybody's rules, and now I'm going to do what I want to do. And then I moved to New York City to become a professional actor, uh, and had the privilege of doing that for over 15 years. And my home was primarily in repertory acting companies doing Shakespeare and musical theater. So I'm five, six, I sing, I act, I dance. I also tumble, <laughs> <You> which <know, laughs> I think is a legacy of totalitarian dictatorships. We flip well and stick the landing. And, and, yeah, so, you know, and part of the thing that was really informative was that I trained at one of the top conservatories in the US um, in La Jolla, UC San Diego and it's an MFA acting program, and that's where all the grad actors teach acting to undergraduates, and
2: mm-hmm. then they
1: also teach public speaking. Mm. And what I saw there is that we are taught to speak as an intellectual exercise, but we're not taught to speak as a physical, spiritual, and emotional exercise. And that's what I think is missing. And not to, not to also mention that, you know, for myself as someone who identifies as both queer and also Latinx, the way we teach Performance or the way we teach leadership, the way we teach communication, I believe is also patriarchal and colonial. Mm -hmm. So, how do we greet the diversity of the person, the diverse body that joins us in a moment, and empower their authenticity as it emanates and communicates through their diverse body and diverse voice? And how do we empower them in that self expression? That became really interesting to me.
2: Mm,
0: very, that's very interesting. So at what point in your career did you decide to to transition this this new company and start Fearless Communicators and what was that process like?
1: Yeah, well I would say it was an evolution, right? And you know, I I love that, you know, you're also a creative person and a lot of people who are listening here are people who probably would identify themselves as creative or artistic. Uh and You know, for me, there's a fabulous uh, test that I recommend everybody take, (laughs) and it comes from the School of Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and it's your character strength survey. And what they they identify is that in all faiths, traditions, cultures, we can all agree as human beings that these 24 qualities are positive. Mm -hmm. And so much of the framing is around scarcity, like in our own brains, but also culturally, and I feel like specifically as creatives, there's a lot of scarcity. There's scarcity of money, there's scarcity of time, there's scarcity of resources, there's scarcity of opportunity, right? There, so there's scarcity, 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 scarcity. And uh, there's also scarcity of my own talent. I'm not good enough. So there's all of, this, all of these ways in which our, uh, it, it, we're kind of limiting ourselves. And I think we're also limiting the expression of our creativity. And what 's interesting is I took this test, and the first my my signature strength, the one that came out, was creativity and When I saw it, I was really pissed. I was like, "ew, there it is. It was like looking in the mirror, and it's mm-hmm. like, why do I have eyes? Why does my nose look like this? You know why did I have that pimple you know when I was twenty, and I still have the mark on my face? <laughs> you know, the things <laughs> that we like the hypercriticalness of ourselves mm-hmm. and and what I was really confronted with in that moment was the way that I was taught to believe that being creative was not practical and was not productive. It was extra, you know, and I, you know, I, like I should before, I went to Penn and the motto uh, there, there's a very famous Benjamin Franklin quote, which is uh, education should be practical and not ornamental.
2: Hmm.
1: And I saw that my theatrical expression, my creative expression, all of that was ornamental mm-hmm. and not really practical. And I was upset for about 20 minutes until I realized, wait a second, creativity, from the verb to create. I'm creating all the time, all the time. So I sing, I act, I dance. One of the first things that I did when I graduated uh, from my grad school program was I started a photography business. So I would do headshots. I did children's portraits. I, I was a wedding photographer. The first wedding I photographed was in Jamaica. The second one was in <laughs> Colombia. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was all this way in which my creative spirit became a fuel for opportunity. And figuring out what is what is what are problems that people have, what are challenges people have, and how can I help them with that? Mm-hmm. Can I be creative in helping people in some place where they're stopped or challenged? So that was a huge uh Opener for me because I thought that as an actor, um, where I felt many fellow actor friends of mine can be trapped, is they see their creativity as only expressed when they have an opportunity to be hired for a contract to do a play in a city, oftentimes otherwise than other than New York City for six weeks to eight weeks,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: hopefully maybe one day they can end up in Cats on Broadway for thirty years, right? <laughs> and right. that wasn't my aspiration. That that actually is not the expression of my creativity, and I don't want I don't want to belittle other people's expressions of creativity. For some people, that's what they want. They want that, they, wanna, they want Phantom of the Opera, they want Phantom of the Opera, they want to be there for 15 years, they want to do their show, they want to do their thing, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's a specific expression of creativity. That's a special skill set that's really valuable, but it's just not mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened is that I realized that being an actor was not enough. You know, I did over 35 plays and musicals. And I kept on finding myself on stage doing the shows, thinking, "Is this really all that I'm called to do in the world?" And the answer, no, just got louder and louder and louder and louder. And I started again thinking about that creativity. How could I use this creativity? So I, you know, I, I was the actor who would show up to a theater company more as an artistic director than as an actor. Mm. <laughs> you know, in my own mind. <laughs> you know, so I would, you know, uh, I created a gala event for a theater company that I was working at. I was the MC and cabaret. And, you know, we did a cabaret at the house of a board member. And, you know, we had a local band, all of the ensemble members sang original songs. We raised over $20,000 for the theater company. They were like, what the hell did you just do? Just my creativity. You Mm -hmm. know, uh, I also started thinking about, well, how can we, you know, again, as, as someone who is, you know, Latino, Spanish is my first language. You know, um, son of Cuban immigrants. How can we also diversify audiences? You know, in different locations that I'm at. How can we diversify the people who come to the theater? Use me as a resource. Put me in schools. Take me places. Uh, have me speak to students. I I I really sought those opportunities, and also I got really creative in thinking about well, um, you know, when I graduated from uh, from my theater program from my MFA in 2007, I knew that I wanted to generate money in other ways that were not bartending and waitering and cater waitering and all that other stuff which is normally how a lot of actors kind of bring in money it's like a side hustle and I was interested in more of what is a parallel career so how could I you know build something that I could build in parallel with my acting career that was also nourishing and uh, an expression of my gifts and my abilities and Um, I befriended board members at the theater companies that I worked at, and then they brought me into their companies to do public speaking workshops. So there was a way in which it kind of began as a, uh, using the resources and the network and the community that I had to create these opportunities as an opportunity to generate some more revenue. And then I realized that, you know, at that point, I, I was, I was done you know, I would show up to these theater companies and I would give them everything that I had. Mm -hmm. You know, the full expression of my creativity. You know, I would produce, uh, you know, events for, you know, different social causes. I was a teaching artist. You know, I would do the show. You know, I I was a teaching artist. You know, I would go on their school visit program. You know, so there was all these ways in which I felt fed, you know, in that expression. But then if they didn't have a job for me in in the season, then I was out of a job and back in New York City starting from scratch again. Mm. And, you know, it got, it got to the point where I was like, I'm done with that life. That doesn't serve me. And I'm ready to use all of my creativity in an expression of something that, that I'm building, that mm-hmm. I'm committed to, to, to creating. Uh, and that's, that's when I pivoted. And that was in 2015 where I, I, I said, thank you very much to my acting career. That's been really beautiful. And I'm ready to use my, uh, my energy in other spaces. And that's where I doubled down
0: and focused on my energies on Fearless Communicators. Wow, wonderful. When, so when you started creating Fearless Communicators and, and you mentioned a little bit and how you, you know, basically you, you have a, an entrepreneurial type of, of expression anyway, and that you spend time with board members and try new things. But the actual building of this particular company and, and learning how to run it, how did that process come about?
1: Oh, it is step by step by step by step learning. <laughs> I think that if I, you know, and you're you're someone who's been through this process before, right? Mm-hmm. I really feel like if you really knew everything that it takes to run a business, you wouldn't start it. Because... <laughs> The point is like, you need, like, you don't know everything. There's no way to know everything. And the expectation is that, you know, everything,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So I would say that I proceeded with a lot of humility. And I think one of the things that was really helpful was I set very early on an advisory board. Mm. So I created an advisory board. So people who had skill sets beyond mine, so people who were entrepreneurial, people who were, who had. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of hustle. I have a lot of drive, I have a lot of instinct, but I have an undergraduate degree in English and a master's in acting. Mm-hmm. So I didn't study business. I didn't have a background in business. I didn't have anything like that. So I didn't know how to sell. I didn't know how to, uh, I mean, I knew how to deliver my content because I taught for two years, you know, and I, and I, and I also had the practice, uh, you know, an instinct also in how do I create an experience and how do I ensure that people get value? But it's a lot of you know, experimenting, you know, trying it on and seeing what works and trying things on. And I think because I'm an actor and I have a background in theater, there's a certain nature of it that's a little improvisational. So I, I don't mind being thrown into the deep end and swimming a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. So that, that piece of it really works. It's specifically in the entrepreneurial landscape. Now, some people are super hyper planners you know, they, they want to have a business plan, and they want to, you, know, uh, you know, they want to craft the perfect website, and they want to get their business cards done, and their logo, and all of that other stuff, I would say that my business was a little more organic. And part of that is because I was an actor, right? So I had a parallel career that was the attention, so there was a way in which it was kind of incubating for a while before 2015, where I, I set up the more formal launch
2: mm-hmm
1: and uh the thing there were certain things that i found were really helpful one there's an amazing organization called bni which is called business networking international so i mm-hmm. learned how to network and i learned how to network in a model that is all about generosity
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's about givers game so i was like wait a second that's really powerful but if i uh if i can and, and I, I would also say that i'm a super connector so uh i I'm always thinking creatively about how I can show up in service of somebody else. So when someone, you know, so having a a network of people who I can refer people to, I think that that is like, I'm again, I'm a problem solver. I can help people have, Oh, do you know somebody who does this? Absolutely. I do. So then you become top of mind for -hmm. people in the landscape around uh, what it is that you do. And then, and then also, Slowly, but surely, uh, you know and it was a little d- difficult at first, like you know there was, there, were, there was a period of time there was not a lot of money coming in, and it was really scary and I continued to trust my gut, and I had people around me going back to the advisory board who had a higher listening of me hmm. and what I mean by that is people who are your champions. Because what happens is ultimately what you're dealing with is yourself as an entrepreneur, specifically when you're starting. I mean, you may have a business partner, you may have somebody else, but ultimately you're dealing with yourself and your insecurities and I'm not good enough and no one cares and no one's you know, so there's a lot of time that you're spending alone, kind of figuring it all out. And, you know, having people that you can go to who are your champions, who say, you know, stick with it you know, you're really great. I have someone to refer you to. Uh, and and I would say also lean into the opportunities that emerge. Trust the opportunities that present themselves to you and lean into those opportunities mm-hmm. um, because they will teach you something. And I think that for me, I said yes, a lot. Mm-hmm. I said yes to every opportunity that presented itself. There were a lot of things that I did for free or for very little money, and those things ended up generating a lot of money, well, right? So it's, yeah. like, it's like looking at the opportunities, trusting the opportunities to present themselves. And again, the service that you provide is not about you. Mm-hmm. It is about your audience. It is about the people that you are serving. So trust the listening of what they're communicating. What do they want? Mm -hmm. Right? Nobody wants to be forced anything. (laughs) Right? So (laughs) trust that if people are saying this is what they want, and those are people who you want to do business with, those are people who you want to support, those are people whose pains you want to help and assist, uh, then, then trust what they're communicating and pivot. Dance. Dancing is a give and a take. There's leading and there's following. And that's both people showing up equally strong. As someone who dances, you know I, I'm Cuban, I dance Latin music, like mm-hmm. the last thing you want as someone who's leading is a, fo- a follower who's not equally greeting you with the same level of pressure and intensity, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a dance. And I think that, that you, you want to always be listening to your customers, you wanna be listening to the people who you wanna serve. And, um, and I would say, trust the opportunities that emerge that's reality. <laughs> Instagram is not a reality. Facebook is not a reality. People calling up and saying, "I need your help." That sounds amazing. I'm going to say yes. Trust that.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great.
0: So let's let's actually let's talk about a little bit about that because you your clients have been industry leaders, CEO, you know, CEOs, founders, presidential candidates, UN diplomats. How? How do you, and, and from the beginning until now, expanded to attract the type of clients that you wanted, and, and how has that process evolved? Hmm.
1: That's a beautiful question. Um, I think the two, things, the, the two things that emerge, one is integrity, and two is consistency. Hmm so i think that there there are there are people that i know who are entrepreneurial right who it feels like they have the attention span of a dog it's like squirrel 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 <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh and what happens is it gets a little confusing right cuz you're like wait a second what are you doing now right cuz it constantly changes right and mm-hmm. I think I found a lane that is actually, and I'm, I'm, I'm like choking up as I'm thinking about it, like is actually really the full self-expression of my gift on the planet, mm-hmm. which is that I am a champion for human beings who are committed to make a difference and elevating how they show up to communicate, not in their own self-interest, but ultimately of service to humanity. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just, I have an innate curiosity and I love to learn and I love people. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been consistent. So there's an integrity in what I say and how I show up in the world. That doesn't mean that I'm perfect. Like I have my flaws, you know, sometimes I mess up and I own when I mess up, right? So, you know, I think that, you know, there's no shame in acknowledging and being responsible and being accountable and being transparent, right? And with a commitment to do the best that I can. And I'll share with you, you know, uh, one of my uh, global commitments is working with women. And I say that as a Kinsey Six homosexual, you know, and I I find that my, I'm not a woman, I don't identify as a woman, women feel unbelievably safe in my presence. And they did as a photographer, they do as as an entrepreneur because oftentimes they are in male-dominated, male-dominated spaces and they, they want some support in showing up powerful. And they call me the secret weapon because I'm able to distill the insecurity and have them show up empowered and as their best advocate in communication, mm-hmm. right? Now, one of the global programs that we do is called the Fearless Force Public Speaking for Visionary Women Leaders, which we've done 19 times in New York and in San Francisco and Tel Aviv and three cities in Australia. Our commitment is to do it in 24 cities all over the world by 2024. And COVID happened. <laughs> right? And I, mean, I was supposed to do a program in Australia
2: mm-hmm.
1: in March. And I had clients who'd registered into that program. And you know the first thing we did is I I called the women the women who registered and I said look the you know I was in, at that point in San Francisco uh, doing one of the programs they stopped in the middle of the program and I said we have to cancel the trip we have to and we have to postpone the program I don't know when I'm going to get there but the world is shutting down and there's no way that I'm going to get to Australia in the next two weeks this was in March
2: yeah right mm-hmm.
1: and what happened is I I had a conversation with the clients, and I said, you know, we we are committed to continuing to show up in service of you and your work. Now these are people who've paid, you know, considerable money mm-hmm. for a program, and you know, one like I offered one on one time with me for free, and two, um, we have a new program that we're generating, and there's a pilot program that we're running, so we gifted them spots in the program. Mm-hmm. in in alignment with a program that they've invested in that who knows when we're gonna have the opportunity to generate that program. Mm -hmm. You know, and this this woman said, you know, when when COVID happened, I sat back and I listened because I wanted to see what are they gonna do about it? And she said, uh, what I expect from my teachers, from my coaches is integrity. And what you guys have demonstrated is 100% integrity and that was really powerful and i think that, that that showing up consistently in that way is what has people trust you mm-hmm. and when they start to trust you is when they start referring you to those people mm-hmm. i would also say that you know part of the benefit of being in new york city is that i'm at an epicenter of you know there's a lot of traffic that comes from new york city and because of that and also a diverse experience that I have, you know, when I, I went to, I, I, I don't purely come from the theater, but I, I come from a liberal arts background, right? One of the top schools in the country. So I have a diverse landscape of friends of mine and colleagues who have had different professions and different careers, and they've introduced me to their networks. So they brought me into their companies. So part of it is really tapping into personal uh, relationships and, and having people generate introductions and not being afraid to ask for support and for help. So I think consistency and integrity. Uh, I didn't start off with those clients, you know, and slowly but surely, that's what emerged.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, great. So you've you've mentioned a little bit about how kind of COVID threw a wrench in everything. As you know, as the world is evolving and your company is evolving, are there what things are you learning um, that you were forced to because of COVID, and and what are some of those new additions let's say if you have some that will yeah. happen in 2021 when or you know whenever the world goes back to normal that you're going to take from this this time where everything shut down
1: well you know i would say several things one the the and i, I want to be responsible for for using this word because it's the word that's emerging right now and mm-hmm. there's a lot of horror with covid mm-hmm. right uh and there is there is one Beauty about it, which is that it impacted everybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So it was a great equalizer that no matter where you are in the world, this impacted you. And I think that it's an that we can all remember where we were in March when the world stopped. <laughs> right? I was somebody who was displaced from my home in New York City for over five and a half months. I was traveling for business, I was in San Francisco. chose not to return home to New York City because the situation in New York City was diminishing, Mm -hmm. um, and it was getting bad really, really fast. Ended up in Colorado for about a week and a half, and then uh, had an opportunity to go to Miami, Florida, which is where I was born and raised. My parents were also displaced. My parents are still displaced, and I was able to stay in their apartment in Miami uh, for for the for the for that time. So um, the first thing that I think it really caused us to do is one, really be responsive to our audience and to listen. And I think that that a lot of companies that I saw jumped into survival and they they jumped into survival to sell. And it felt out of tone. It felt dissonant with the moment. And I think what we did is we just really stopped and we really listened and we held space for our community. And, and said, we are gonna hold space and we're gonna serve you and we're gonna actually amplify you. So we pivoted and we created this things called, called Fearless Chat. So every Thursday now at 5 p.m., we showcase one of our thought leaders. It's something I'd always wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't have the time or the space or the bandwidth <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Um, so now we've done 30, uh, we, we have today, today will be the, the 37th mm-hmm. time that we're gathering in conversation around emerging conversations that are relevant to the moment mm-hmm. and our community, our audience, or my clients were so grateful for a space for them to try things out and experiment and explore. So that's, that was something that was really powerful and you know, there were several parts of my business that were not impacted by, by COVID. So because, uh, you know, as a public speaking coach and because I'm an international client, so much of my work had been on Zoom. So Zoom was not a new platform for me. I'd been on Zoom. I'd been working on Zoom. So it was an easy shift. Uh, however, our in-person events had to shift. So we now have a new program that we launched and it's called Your Story Now. And it's all about what is the most important story to be sharing with your ideal audience in this moment. And in this moment is not ever-evolving in this moment. And at the intersection of a global pandemic, uh, the comeuppance of structural and institutional racism in this country, uh, a mental health pandemic that nobody's talking about, you know, an election that is like bringing high anxiety levels to everybody <laughs> in this country, you know, uh, you have to speak to the moment. Otherwise, people were like, what planet are you on? And I could see there were some people that I that I, that I saw that were like, you know, it felt like they were sharing stories or branding images that, that felt, you know, very 2019. And mm-hmm. it was like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know where you are. Like, I don't want to be consuming that. Mm-hmm. It felt uh, weird. It felt like, a, like, a, again, as someone who uh, who sings and, and performs and has been in choruses and singing groups? It felt like, wait a second, it's like an atonal, like, wow, that's that's weird. Uh, so, um, so this new program is is all about how we can serve uh, entrepreneurs, you know, uh, nonprofit leaders, people who have pivoted and shift and have a new story to tell. How do I find that new story and what's the call to action that I want for my ideal audience? So um, that's, a, that's a virtual program, it is gender inclusive. It, you know, in the, in the past, our group programs have only been for women. So this is a gender inclusive offering. You know, when I do work one-on-one with clients, I do work with, with all gender expressions. Um, and this was something that we also saw as an opportunity to, uh, to really create a more inclusive space for our entrepreneurs and, uh, and thought leaders. And, and we had, you know, people across the gender spectrum who wanted support in, in, in landing on concise, effective language to share who they are and what they're up to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and so that's a new program that we have and that's something that we're now gonna offer forever. You know, So that, that, that feels like a really great offering in concert with our live in-person events when we're able to, to offer those again. Uh, and then the other thing I I don't advertise that I do this, but one of the, and this is also, you know, responding to the need that emerges in the moment. There's a whole part of my business that is, uh, that is MBA interview prep. Mm. So I don't advertise it, but I have clients of mine that run an MBA consulting company. It's called Menlo coaching. And they, they wanted to support other public speaking. I worked with them on that. They were like, this is really cool. We don't work with people on delivery. That's something that I feel like you do in a way that's really powerful. So we work on mindset and also delivery. And we've been incorporated into their process during during times of recession and uncertainty. People go back to school. So that was a part of my business that also wasn't impacted. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I had diverse revenue streams also served me, right? So that was also something that was instinctual. And also trusting what was emerging in the moment that created that, so I did have revenue that was coming in during the COVID, and that's and that's actually something that picked up. So we've now expanded our interview prep work into, uh, you know, undergraduate admissions, medical school admissions, law school admissions. Uh, also in New York City, there's middle school and elementary school and high school admissions. Right, so there's a whole right. ecosystem around that, and I'm not looking to to become an application coach and coach you on that but there is a specific way we can work with you around the interview prep and again the mindset and the delivery piece that can be a yes and to people who are already in that space Mm -hmm. so what we've done is we've created partnerships with different companies that do that support and that's also now something that's expanded Mm -hmm. so um so those are ways in which we've been we've innovated in the moment listened and, and sought uh, to, again, support people and be of service in ways that really uh, are relevant to the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you work with your clients around the idea of fear.
1: Beautiful. Uh, so I always go back to the second grade and show and tell. Um, it was Mrs. Fox's uh, class. I love Mrs. Fox. And I had this little stuffed animal seal that I call Sammy the seal. And I love Sammy. Uh, And I stood in front of my classmates and I said, seals are mammals. They live in the water. They eat fish. Sometimes they're eaten by sharks. I mean, I crushed it. It was the Tony Award (laughs) of second grade, regional, Mm -hmm. uh, non-New York City, (laughs) you know, (laughs) elementary school show and tells. And after I finished, the teacher said, are you done? And I was like, no, I have more to share. And then I said, and I named him after someone in this class. And then I said, I named him after Brett MacGyver. And Brett MacGyver was the blonde popular boy that I had a crush on in second grade in Miami, Florida in 1986, and it didn't go well. Mm. And in that moment, standing in front of my classmates, I decided three things. When I stand in front of people to speak, I can't be myself, I can't speak the truth, and if I do, it's dangerous. And I am now 43 years old and that fear is always present. My biggest fear when I stand up in front of people to speak is they're going to think that I'm gay Mm -hmm. because that is the root shame that I have in my life. Now I have been out since I was 18. And if you're guessing that I'm gay, I am. Yes. (laughs) However, there is this fear that I carry with me, this original trauma, that has me fear that I actually can't show up, that I have to, and it's, you know, 18 years of oppressive performance of macro and microaggressing the pitch of my voice and how I pronounce my S and, you know, uh, not sounding too feminine or not being too girly or, you know, someone calling me a sissy or, you know, there are all these ways in which my brain was formed to protect myself from that. And it is a moment by moment permission that I have to give myself to surrender that and actually show up empowered in service of other people. And my audience is not gonna do that for me. I have to do that myself. So the word is not fear gone or fear done or fear without. The word is fear less. So it's not about giving up the fear, but it's about powerfully being related to the fear so I can show up in service of the people who I'm committed to make a difference for. Mm. And the process that we have is, uh, it's, there are four phases to the work. um, And this is what I call our story doula process. And I say, we begin grounded in body, present in mind. We lead from the heart and we speak into the spirit of our shared humanity. And I believe that all our work begins with the body. Mm-hmm. There's a fabulous saying from an indigenous community in Papua New Guinea, which is knowledge is only rumor until it lives in the muscle. Hmm. There's so much knowledge that we have in our muscle, in, our, in, in, our, in, in every fiber of our muscle. And there is a part of us that is not connected to it. and this is the public speaking is taught as an intellectual exercise but not a physical spiritual and emotional exercise so we want to get connected to our body that's what people don't have access to for the most part we're not taught that so we're kind of talking heads but our bodies are kind of flailing you know because we don't know what's going on down there and that's what the acting the theater work does your body is your tool your voice is the instrument right? Your body is the instrument. So getting really related to that. So we really begin with the body. Mm-hmm. And then we move into the mindset and really distilling, what is that original shame? We all have it. The statistic is that 76% of people suffer from speech anxiety. And I believe everybody else lies. <laughs> so if you're not feeling anything, you're not a person,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? <laughs> so the feeling something is fine. Now we have different relationships around the feeling of it. Some people can feel it as fear. Some people can feel it as excitement. It's still the same feeling. Right, And how do we build a relationship to that, understand how is that feeling something that I can use as fuel in my communication? And then how can I craft content that is heart-centered, that is all about connecting with people? It's an exercise, speaking is an exercise of connection, not an exercise in perfection. And then how do I get out of the way? How do I get out of the way so that really all that I'm focused on is my audience and making a difference for them. And the word, I'm not religious, so I don't don't espouse any type of religious faith. Uh, And the word spirit has the same root word from the word to inspire or to aspire, or to expire, which means to breathe. When we inspire, we breathe in. When we expire, we breathe out. When we aspire, we attain with breath. And when we speak, we breathe like our exhale is writing our voice our communication so when we speak we share spirit so when we communicate we have the power to move your spirit because then you're propelled in action in a way that you wouldn't have been before now you're speaking the story that I shared with you now you're communicating now now my spirit is living in your spirit as you are sharing the names of the people the people the stories that I shared they now live in you as you share them with your audience, right? So that's the scaling of our storytelling. That as you go on and you share what you learned from me, you are now sharing my spirit mm. with other people. And that is the power of verbal communication. And that, is the, and that is how we approach our work in the various ways that we support our clients. Okay.
0: Wonderful. So with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received?
2: Mm,
1: you know, I love that you said trust your gut and what emerges in the moment. Mm-hmm. What emerged from me was fail forward. Mm. And um, and I think that in the entrepreneurial journey, I think sometimes we can be plagued by perfectionism. And there's something very, and, and I think that we also academically come from a culture where, you know, failing is bad, mm-hmm. you know, and what that has us do is, is stop trying, right, because we're actually afraid of failing. And, you know, I remember, uh, you know, one of my early speeches that I gave was around, um, go big or go home, that phrase.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, let's just go big. We're all going home anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, I'm gonna go home, whether I win or I lose. It's not like you know, it's not. So I just say go big, and I think there's a there's a huge opportunity to learn in the in the risking greatly,
2: Hmm.
1: and and I think that it it it, and and failing sucks. You know, Mm -hmm. falling on your face is horrible. Making a mistake blows. You know, it's like it's not cute. (laughs) However, it It is, it is how we learn and it is how we expand. And I think learning how to fail forward with grace is, is a huge opportunity and, and the, and and there there, there are two things that I want to share with that. One, there's a very uh, famous uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote. It's called in the arena. And I don't know if you've heard it, uh, Brene Brown does an unbelievable sharing of it in her Netflix special. And, and, she, and she talks, what, 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 what Teddy Roosevelt talks about, it's not the critic who counts, but it counts to actually be in the arena doing the work, hmm. right? And I think there's something very powerful about being in the arena and trying it out, right? It's very easy to be in the stands and to be critical. And say, "Oh, I would have, or they should have," and it's very different to be on the court, in the arena, in the field, on the stage, doing the best that you can. So that's really powerful. And the second, you know, I I want to share with you a little song that I learned at my kindergarten graduation, mm-hmm. and it's called "Everyone Makes Mistakes," and it goes like this. Everyone makes mistakes, so yes, they do. Your sister and your brother and your mother, father too. Big people, small people, matter of fact, all people. Everyone makes mistakes, so why can't you? If everyone in the whole wide world makes mistakes, then why can't you? So that's my little gift. Everyone makes mistakes, fail forward. You do you boo boo. At the end of the day, just be a person. Own up when you make a mistake and keep marching forward.
0: Well, thank you so much, Eduardo. This is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I love it. And they got a song. That's you got uh, a tune. Exactly. You
1: got a, you got a little tune. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Which is wonderful. I've only I've only had one other person sing on this show, so this is uh I love it. Maybe I should try to find more people. <laughs>
2: who,
0: who will spontaneously burst into song because it makes it more yes. exciting.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: So again, thank you so much, Eduardo, for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to you know, sign up for your courses, see more of what you're working on, where is the best place they could go to find you?
1: The best place to go is my website. So it's www.fearlesscommunicators.com. Um, you can sign up there for, uh, for our mailing list. Um, when you sign up, we have this free uh, PDF that I call 10 Simple Backstage Tips to Go from a Speaker to a Star. And uh, it's I, I consider it to be like Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder, just sending you a lot of love and positive vibes uh, to remind you to just do you um, as you show up to communicate powerfully. And uh, and then you can also find us on um, Instagram at Eduardo Placer, E-D-U-A-R-D-O-P-L-A-C-E-R.
0: Wonderful. I will make sure I put links in the show notes so people can click right through.
1: And then always LinkedIn. LinkedIn is always great. So you can find me, Eduardo Placer, on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is really helpful and really practical. Mm -hmm. And I think for anybody who's an entrepreneur or anyone who is an aspiring entrepreneur or has an idea, shoot me a message on LinkedIn. I think that's an easy way to just say, hey, I heard the podcast um, and I have a quick question. It would be my pleasure to um, offer
0: any insight or resources that I may have in my own network. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much, Eduardo. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank
1: you. Take care, Yuri.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast.